Welcome to our Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast and thank you for joining us for this bite-sized conversation with Catherine Fagg. Catherine is without a doubt one of the most highly respected leaders in Australia today. I loved my conversation with her and it's one of our favourite all-time podcasts that are downloaded. Catherine and I connected over so many different areas, but what I loved the most is her straightforward advice on how to help yourself. You know, why she's excited about her stellar 60s and her view on the backlash against women on boards. Catherine was made an Officer of the Order of Australia in 2019 for distinguished services to business and finance, to central banking, logistics and manufacturing sectors, and to women. Catherine's got a genuine passion for people. She's incredibly generous with her time and driven by clear purpose. If you enjoy our bite-sized conversation, you can find the full conversation as one of our episodes in the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast. Let's get into it and enjoy the conversation. Um, Can I cut straight to the chase and just say, um, why have you been so successful? It's such an interesting question, Melissa, because I think a lot of us think about looking in the mirror and go, actually, I have had a pretty interesting career, but it's not really obvious why I've necessarily had the opportunities I've had. But if I do think about it, um, some, you know, I think there are a number of things, both that that sort of provided the foundations. And um, in my case, I was academically bright at school and was um, probably made the courageous choice when I was leaving school at 17 up in regional Queensland to do engineering Mm -hmm. when very, very few girls did engineering. I think it was two or three percent of the class were, were girls. And subsequently, I was very fortunate to join some great companies early in my career, and that really provided robust foundations. So from university, I went to SO Australia, which is now ExxonMobil, being a petroleum engineer, and then I went to McKinsey, the management consultant, so really had a lovely foundation for my career. And then I made some really important choices and did some things in hindsight that were critical, which included when I left McKinsey, I joined ANZ Bank, which had been a client while I was at McKinsey. And I still laugh at this, thinking about myself at 32, having a conversation with the CEO of ANZ saying, oh, yes, I'd join, but I'd really like you to make me a line manager um, if in a couple of years, if this all works out, I was going into a project role and he looked kind of bemused by my request, said, oh yeah, we'll do that. I don't think really thinking it was ever going to play out, but it did. And so they offered me a line role when I was 34. And that again was really critical because I got that that really foundational P&L responsibility early on. And then I made other choices and I was very conscious of creating options for myself and probably being pretty comfortable taking on quite a lot of risk Mm. in terms of um, career moves. So let's go there now. I think it's the obvious point to sort of move there in the conversation. Can you talk about the report that I think you were instrumental in the development of that? Um, Talk about the coming together of that report. And then I've got a couple of kind of key statistics out of the recent year's report that I'd love to throw in. Yeah, sure. And so the background to this is I had been very involved with Chief Executive Women um, for a number of years. I've been a member quite a long time and involved in the business engagement, thought leadership work there. And at the time, so this was 
so I'm going to say about five years ago, there was actually a lot of focus on women in boards. And I'm sure everyone knows that in the 30% club, and I've been involved in that through the, um, through the education committee, but there was this, I'm going to say a sense of frustration that the really big challenge was how do we get more women into senior executive roles mm -hmm. and particularly into line roles, um, P&L roles. And the work, um, and I, I became president of CEW, which is a great position to have a little bit more push and authority to get things done. So one of the things I really wanted to do was almost replicate the reporting that was happening on women in boards, mm. um, where there has been the 30% target. And the good news, of course, that's now been achieved for the ASX 200. And, but focus on uh, the senior executive team, and in particular, look at the percentage of women in perhaps the most influential roles in the senior executive team, which tend to be the people running business units um, division, so the PL roles, as well as the CFO role. And uh, the statistics are pretty compelling. If you look at where do people get um, come from when they're appointed to CEO roles, it's about 90% from between people who've been running um, business divisions and the CFO. And I think it's 70% from business divisions and the rest, other 20% is from CFOs. So, and we have a, a very small number of female CEOs in Australia in terms of running the ASX 200. And so a big part of the message is if we want to have more women CEOs, we absolutely need to get more women into CFO roles and actually running businesses. And I love how you've taken your sort of problem-solving junkie um, yeah. uh, love um, to that challenge. And, you know, when I, I look at the recent report from 2020, and I would urge anyone in the audience who hasn't seen this report, just go to the CEW website, find the report, download and have a look at it. I think it's fascinating. Um, it's really saying that there's been, so the report's been running since 2017. I think this is, last year was the fourth year, I think by memory. That, that would be about right anyway, yeah. So we've seen a slight decline in the last two years. Um, there's 10 female CEOs in the ASX 200. Um, I'm sure anyone can work that percentage out. Um, in the 50 appointments for CEOs over the last two years, three have been women. I'll do that percentage for people, 6%. <laughs> Um, on the upside, um, we're seeing improvement in the number of females in CFO roles. We're seeing um, shift from 16 to 30 companies achieving gender balance. Um, some of the things that were interesting to me was there's been a big improvement in the industrial sector. I wondered if that might be because you were in it. Um, but we've seen um, a pretty negative movement in the healthcare space. So sitting at only 5%. Um, so hence, hence when you mentioned the hospital before, I suddenly yeah. and went, well, hang on a minute. I think there's an opportunity for you, um, should you wish to. I just, I'd love your reflection on some of that in terms of who's doing well, who isn't. Do we need more quotas? Like what, what's your perspective yeah. on this? Yeah. So I'm going to start by saying, as someone who loves numbers and problem solving, um, often just showing the numbers can be a very big wake-up call. Mm. And that's exactly what that first census was. Um, people were shocked. Mm. Um, 
Many people were shocked at the percentage of women, which I think was about 25% or something like that in the very first census of the senior executive team. But they were much more shocked then when we said, well, let's look at the roles that align roles and CFOs. And as you said, it was, I think it was around 6% of CEOs. It was only 9% of CFOs. And that to me was one of the most shocking statistics since from the early 1990s, when you look at commerce and finance degrees, it's been half women going in at university level. And, you know, here almost 30 years later, or 25 years later, and only 9% of CFOs are women. And I think that was a really big wake up call. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one of the real um, I'm, things I'm really pleased about is that over a couple of years, the percentage of CFOs in the ASX 200 went from 9% women to 16% women, and right. including in very big CFO roles. And I think it was, you know, that real wake-up call for the finance um, community, for boards, CEOs, and going, actually, this just doesn't make sense. Mm. And this is an area we can really make a difference because there's a lot of women here. Mm. You're a huge supporter um, or advocate for women staying in executive roles. Yeah, yeah. We'll come to you and I meeting later, but, you know, I, I remember that conversation and, in fact, other people I've spoken to who met you for the first time say there's a, a very consistent theme in your communication, which is if you want to have influence and impact stay in those executive roles, um, that's where it's all happening. Yeah. I might have also said it's also where you get paid a lot more money too. If ah. I didn't say that, Melissa, I should have. But um, I, but, I missed that part of the conversation. <laughs> I, th I think I'm more blunt about that than when I met you, perhaps. Um, but I'm always astonished when I talk particularly to younger women about what they think the role of the board is. And of course, boards provide a governance oversight role. The people who actually run the organisation and by far the most influential people are the CEO and the executive team. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, actually, if you really want to be a player, that's where you want to be. And you can have enormous influence and make a huge difference. And that doesn't mean board roles aren't important, but they, they're not, you don't have your hands on the levers. Yeah. You're a step back you're influencing rather than actually doing. And so, especially when I talk to people about what they like about their jobs, guess what most people like doing? They like being involved, being part of a team, leading other people, getting things done, um, achieving results. Well, that's much more an executive um, outcome of being an executive than it is of being a board member. Now, being, I just see a board member is later in your career. It's not something you shouldn't do, but I'm, Say, saying to people all the time, it should be late in your career. Don't go try and go there too early for most people. I just wonder, you know, have you always been aware, self-aware as a leader or is that a journey that you've had to go on? Um, I think I had to, oh, there's no question I had to go on the journey. And I'm going to say partly, Melissa, looking back, I was one of no, I was a perfectionist and I was academically bright. So I wanted, you know, thought it was a lot about being, um, I don't want to say being the smartest cat in the room, but, you know, that sort of, of being on top of everything and knowing the answers. And of Did course, you want to be right. Pardon? Did you want to be right? Yeah, yeah. And not to be, to put it over other people, but, you know, um, I think I expected that's what leaders needed to be. Mm -hmm. um, I used to have this sort of false idea of what, 
you needed to have to be um, a leader or, or I assume that the most senior people in organizations were nearly always right um, and of course we hope that but we know it's not always true and uh, so for me it was in fact I had some real strengths but I didn't even understand they were strengths um, in terms of like I really do I love people I enjoy engaging with people I tend to be very purpose-driven and a lot of those things are absolutely key in terms of if you're in a in a role with responsibility and it was sort of often it's like oh no Kathy you don't have to be great on everything um, this stuff that you don't particularly value because it's kind of who you are they're really valuable attributes so you know lean into those rather than worrying that you don't have these other things because guess what there's some skills I'm never going to have and um, it's much better to say oh I can compensate for those and play to my strengths so that was a really big lesson for me you know and it wasn't a lesson it was ongoing learning that I had to go through like yeah what am I good at and um, and accept that I'm not going to be good in all situations at all that there are going to be people who are way better at me in some um, in leadership roles in some circumstances. What advice would you give, um, you know, you and I are, are both incredibly lucky to spend some time mentoring some one yeah. executives. Um, you know, if you're asked, what are the three things people should ask themselves? Yeah. Is their own leadership? What thoughts yeah. come to mind? Oh, I immediately say to people, what do you really enjoy doing? Um, because as I've got older, I am much more in that mode of encouraging people to play to the str their strengths. So what do you enjoy, which tends to be a strength, and then say, okay, how do we compensate for the things you're not, that you don't really enjoy and maybe not so good at? Because in most cases, there are ways to do that. So a lot of focus on that. I'm going to say, Melissa, a lot of it is just encouraging people, like listening to people and hearing what they're saying and picking out the things they're doing really well and encouraging them and probably helping them do that with other people as well, like the people who report to them and talking through how do you engage with those people. Um, an awful lot of it is just playing it straight and keeping, you know, trying to make the right decisions and, and keep on going. I'm looking for a sponsor. How do I, you know, how do I find them and how do I nurture that so someone will sponsor me? Yeah. Um, and I think the challenge, Melissa, is it needs to be somewhat organic mm -hmm. um, in terms of you. the person who is going to sponsor you is going to have to feel very comfortable doing it because they're basically also putting their own reputation on the line. So it's not, it can't in any way be a transaction or it's just not going to work. On the flip side though, um, and this is particularly important for women, it is just so important to let people know what you want to do. And so, um, you know, I talked about early on about being open about wanting to get a line role. Well, you know, I really encourage people to let just even their boss know what they'd like to do, because lo and behold, that person might act as a sponsor for you if you just let them know what you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and for example, saying, you know, I'd really like to do this. Do you think there might be any opportunities to um, for me to go on a project role or maybe step out into sort of a role that's a little bit off the beaten path to get broader experience 
um, I don't think I'd ever ask, would you be my sponsor? But, you know, you kind of go to, well, what could someone help you with? And that they might turn out to be a sponsor for you. Mm. So stay open and be clear about what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, and I think it's more be, yeah, it, often you actually have to be, um, speak up and it can be uncomfortable. But if people don't know what you want to do, it's very hard for them to help you. Women don't ask, women don't want the top jobs. Um, are there elements of truth in those statements? Um, in terms of the comment that women don't ask, I think any of us who've been in leadership roles know that women often don't um, ask. And, um, and, I, and even though some people say, oh, we need to encourage women to ask, and I'm going to say, yes, we should do that. I also think those of us with leadership responsibilities, therefore, need to think through, well, we know women don't ask, That's so true. we're going to ask them. It's really simple. And um, I have that conversation a lot of saying, don't assume the woman doesn't want the role. Let's ask her. And... Um, and I've got lots of stories I could share about that, but take a bit of time. So we won't do that today. But, you know, of reaching out. And um, guess what? When when you actually say something, you've got the skills. You can do this. You need. I need you to put your hand up for this role in some cases. Mm -hmm. um, and But I know if I had an ask that the women well might not have done that. Mm. Again. But had some spectacular successes. So have I, when I think, you know, it's, and, and it's an enormous reward to have someone say to you, um, you kind of encouraged and pushed me and opened my eyes to things that I didn't think I was capable of achieving. Yeah. One is from the audience from the last series, yeah. a group of women in their 50s wondering, uh, you know, they've been displaced potentially through COVID. Um, what does the future look like for them? I don't know. <laughs> oh, Melissa, that's so hard for me to answer because I'm turning 60 next month and I'm really excited <laughs> about the 60 because, um, first of all, um, I'm going to, you know, I know what I really enjoy doing and I actually really enjoy working. And so I'll be working, and but some of that will be paid and some of it will be not-for-profit work where I don't get paid. And um, I'm involved in doing other things that are really important to me. So I'm kind of, I'm in that situation and I've decided I'm branding at the Stella 60s for myself. And, you know, I'm really excited about that. I can imagine how challenging it could be for people who sort of um, are not nearly as in financially stable situation I am. And so I don't want to downplay that um, at all. And um I actually think you have to say, what do I really enjoy doing and where, where might the opportunities be and just go after them. And, and we know that most jobs come through the network of contacts we have and working those really, really hard. And I know if I look back, um, and, I, and I'm in a very fortunate situation, but sometimes it's been when things have felt, oh, I don't know what's, what, what, what am I going to do next that will really be positive that, that things happen. Mm -hmm. And I think time and time again, when you talk to people who, where there's been redundancies at work, the number of times people say, actually new, new opportunities opened up, which I did not expect. And I think, um, and I'm sure you heard that because I'm, I'm sure you've gone through transformation Absolutely. Um, 
with and and you know the surprise of how many people come out well even though it it often doesn't feel like that when people are going through it certainly early on what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you yeah. think it needs to change i'm going to say i actually think what brave feminine leadership looks like and i'm going to talk about women here rather than try and try and broaden it I actually think it's about being extremely authentic as to whom you are. And uh, we talked about just, I, I mentioned Jacinda Arden and Angela Merkel earlier, and how different are they? Yeah. And yet they are both clearly comfortable in their own skin and they're clearly comfortable who, who in terms of just being themselves. And they're both extraordinarily powerful role models. And um, I think that great example of brave leadership by women. Mm. True to yourself, play to your strengths. Thanks so much for listening. If you've loved these conversations and you want to join in and be part of the Brave Feminine Leadership community and fill yourself up with inspiration, there are lots of ways you can find us. Our website is bravefeminineleadership.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook if you look at at Brave Feminine Leadership or find us on LinkedIn and connect and become part of an incredible community of senior professionals. Come and join us. Can't wait to see you there.